thanks to Ghost Sleeves for its continued support of AMR. Ghost Sleeves are the only two-in-one sleeves that combine the power of kinesiology tape with compression sleeves. For $25 off your first order of any sleeves, use code AMR25 at GhostSleeves.com. Thanks to Thrive Cosmetics for supporting AMR. Get luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features. For every purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help a woman thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com AMR for 20% off your first order. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Amanda Loudon. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Good. I understand that you also are fresh off a race. I know. Look at us. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Sunday was my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. And to celebrate, I dragged a couple of friends out to this loathsome course. It's an 8K cross-country race at a vineyard and Mm. hellaciously hilly it is so ridiculous we all hate this race um (laughs) but um (laughs) what does this say about what you think your coming year is going to be no it can only go up um but so (laughs) we had a ball we had we had a really good time and i actually won my age group so that was fun too so congratulations um, so so distance and describe the course yeah, it was 8K and it's called Run Through the Grapevine mm-hmm. because you are literally running the majority of the race up and down the rows of grapevines. Mm-hmm. So you'd go up a grapevine and then you'd come you know, like up a row and then down a row and then lots of other really bad hills. So very much like cross country. I mean, there was a trail section, but that was maybe one mile of the whole thing. And the rest was really cross country. So and a beautiful, a beautiful course, but you have to look down the whole time anyhow. I would say so because... yeah. I would think because to me, I've, you know, I've been to a number of vineyards having lived in California and now in Oregon, and it seems like that the dirt is kind of mounded around the vine itself, the root ball. And so wasn't it super uneven? It was, it was. So yes, you can't really look up. You have to kind of keep your feet. I mean, your eyes on your feet the whole time. You're in this beautiful location and all you see are your feet and dirt. I know, I know. But afterward, we were able to sit outside drink some bad Maryland wine. Um, <laughs> and in fact, my my um, award was a bottle of bad wine. So um, <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a good time. Really oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, well, mine was nothing like that. It was incredibly flat. It was the Hilton Head quarter marathon, which let me do the math is 6.55 miles. That's fun. Yes. And it was my first race since my bulging discs incident, which had kicked in right before our last Hilton Head retreat. So Mm. it was very, I was very aware of the memories that, uh, I mean, just, I remember uh, in February of 2022, just walking through the airport and being glad I was wearing a mask because I was cursing so much. I mean, it just every step was just awful pain. And so to go back to the same place, it was different because in the past at our, at those Hilton head retreats, we've done a race on the beach and this was on the leisure paths and somewhat on the road, but mainly on these paved trails. Okay. And it was a figure eight and our retreat goers made up mm, probably about a sixth uh, or no, six percent of the race participants. So, okay. and I'll, that comes into play in a minute, which is that. So we start out, and Tish Hamilton, another one of my co-hosts, she was in the race, and she and I ended up starting right near each other, just coincidentally. And so I kind of kept my eye on her, and, and she was steadily gaining ground over me. And but I felt really, really good right from the start. And even though I had intended to set out at a 10 minute per mile pace, I was like, okay, I think this is faster, but I'm not going to look down because I feel good. And maybe I'll blow up because I've gone out too fast, but I'm sticking with this. So it ended up that there was this guy kind of on my shoulder from, I noticed um, probably about a mile and a half into the race. And so he stayed there, stayed there, stayed there. So within, even before we hit the two mile mark, I said to him, I said, oh, well, you know, this is fine that, that we're together because we're we're not competing against each other because we're in different categories. 
And so it turns out that that was truly true because not only was he a different gender than I am, right. but, but he also was running the half marathon. So uh, he introduced himself as Chad. And so Chad runs without a watch or a GPS And he just, you know, runs and he says he often finds someone who's running a steady pace. And so he chose me because of that. And because he said, it seemed like I knew everybody out on the race course. That's so fun. (laughs) So he's like, I want to run with the most popular runner out here. (laughs) That's really fun. (laughs) So it was really, really nice. So I was listening to music and then we were right behind a woman from the retreat, this woman, Jill. And so then Chad and I started talking to each other for a bit. And later on, Jill was like, I can't believe you can run that pace and have a conversation with someone. I was like, oh, okay. Because after talking for maybe, I don't know, half a mile, I was like, okay, Chad, I got to listen to some music here. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Got to check out. (laughs) But, But he said, you know, we were running a comfortable pace. And then at one point we ran, I think a 907. I was like, okay, Chad, that was too fast. We got to dial it back some. (laughs) And so it was just really, really nice to have someone there, but not, you know, we'd occasionally say something to each other, but not really not much. And he was very um, thoughtful when we would pass someone like he wouldn't because, you know, we usually ran right next to each other. And when we would pass someone, he'd let me go first and then he'd kind of take his time passing them. And I asked him after the race, I was like, was that so you kind of wouldn't morally defeat people to be like, oh, I'm getting passed by two people? He was like, oh, no, it was kind of a narrow trail. I didn't want them to feel like they were being pushed to the side or anything. Aww. And so, but I knew it was to my advantage to have him with me because I thought, okay, if I have gone out too fast, my sports ego will not allow me to flag at the end because, you know, Chad's counting on me. and right. I, <laughs> so, so I would say I was very glad it was Chad who was turning toward the half marathon to repeat the loop that we'd just done and that I got to head Not toward the you. finish line. <laughs> yes. So I had hoped uh, my pie in the sky, absolute pie in the sky goal was to break one hour. And my time on my Koros said an hour and 11 seconds and the my official time was an hour 34 seconds all right then that's that's pretty spot on yes and so to think where i'd come in the past and what i'd endured for the past 18 plus months i i was really i am really really proud of myself oh i'm so glad that's that's a victory lap right there you know it was it was and it's so much fun to have so many people from the retreat there and you know just a you know so that and it's because it was a so I think I said it was a figure eight course. So you saw people at different points, you know, people were ahead of you, people who were behind you. So there was a lot of um, cheering and definitely when I'd be flagging a little bit, like I saw this woman, Nancy, a retreat attendee several times. And I don't know, it just really buoyed my spirits when Nancy would cheer for me and I'd cheer back. So that's great. Yes. That's yes. great. Very nice. So and that race was on Sunday morning and that was the day we turned the clocks back. Right. And so here I am, different time zone, but I had gained an hour of sleep. So, but I couldn't fall back asleep after waking up at 510, even though the race didn't start until eight and it was right across the street from our hotel. But it was because my mind was whirring with questions for our guest. So I finally got, <laughs> got up and typed some of them up. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to use your time. Yes, yes. <laughs> So our guest today is a repeat guest that I'm just thrilled to have back on the show. Absolutely thrilled. It is food writer and cookbook author Melissa Clark, who is a staff reporter for the New York Times food section, where she writes the popular column, A Good Appetite. Melissa is the author of scores of genius cookbooks, including her latest Dinner in One, with recipes you make in one quote-unquote pot, whether it's a sheet pan, Dutch oven, soup pot, Instapot. And she's a longtime runner. She's also the mother of a teen daughter. Melissa, welcome back to the show. As I told you last time, I'm a devoted fan of your recipes and your cookbook. So thanks for joining us again. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me again. Good. So before we talk cooking, recipes and food, tell us about your running and when did you start? What are you up to these days? And I know the last time you were on, you shared that you don't do races. So is that still true? Um, you know, I've done a couple of races. Actually, I've started doing this yearly race with my daughter, which is why it's so fun. Um, Well, let me go back to your first question. I started running when I was 17 and I have been a runner ever since. I have been lucky enough not to have been injured enough that I couldn't get over it, you know? (laughs) So I I feel really lucky in that way. And I never used to do races because I'm not competitive. I just, (laughs) I just don't, 
yeah, I don't know. It's just somehow running is my time. It's not something that I've had found enjoyment doing in a group. And that totally changed when I started running with my daughter. So she's 15. And about, I guess when she was about 10, we did a turkey trot. And that was Mm -hmm. the first one we did. And, you know, it's, of course, it wasn't about the race. It was just about being out there on Thanksgiving in the morning. And I remember it was my first ever race. And I thought it was a 5K. And I get there and it turns out it's a five mile. Now, for you guys, that doesn't make any difference at all. But for me, I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing this. I was signed up for a 5K, not a five miler. And of course, it, you know, it was totally fine. But I was so nervous. And we kind of, you know, we ran part of it. We walked part of it. She was only 10. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was so much fun. And everybody was out together. And we just, we just had such a great time. And so I've been doing races. I've been doing the turkey trot, not every year, but some year, you know, as many years as I can. And three years ago, I started doing their, you know, just the pride race in Brooklyn. Brooklyn pride is in June. We have a fantastic race in Prospect Park. That is a 5k. So that's right (laughs) up my alley. And the first time I did it, um, so I did it with, I've done it with my daughter and a bunch of her friends. And, you know, it's so fun to do a pride race because everybody's just out in, you know, in all their colors. It's just great Mm -hmm. to see. And the first time I did it, I thought, okay, I'm going to find somebody to keep pace with. And I found a dog in a rainbow tutu. I'm like, I'm keeping pace with this dog in the rainbow tutu. Okay. Not your usual uh, being that you would pick as a pacer. Uh Exactly. Right. Not normally. So I'm running and then I'm like, you know what? Actually, this dog who has very short legs, I'm like, I'm sorry, dog. I have to go past you. So (laughs) so I ran past this dog. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And then I'm having such a good time that I don't see the big crack in the in the in the road yeah totally took a huge Mm. spill blood everywhere Mm. and i'm just Mm. a mess and i'm like oh god but i'm halfway through i'm literally at the halfway point so there's no way to go back without going forward right so (laughs) like all right i guess i'll continue racing so i clean myself up i'm like you know bleeding a little bit but it's it's fine i'm racing i'm running Mm -hmm. i'm running and i but i had taken some time off to clean myself up and i'm all the way in the back and then as i keep running and i'm coming up to the finish line i see the dog and the, the rainbow tutu <laughs> <laughs> so he and i cross the finish line together oh, i mean it was just it was great it was the best it was totally fun <laughs> so great oh my goodness so well hearing you say that then it makes me wonder whether there is a feature there to be written of dishes that you can make so that you can take time away from the kitchen on thanksgiving to run a turkey trot you know, it's actually really Ooh. funny that you mentioned that because this year's recipe that I did for Thanksgiving, one of the recipes I did was a make-ahead turkey. And mm. I figured out how to do a turkey ahead that you can reheat on Thanksgiving that is very, very close to a freshly roasted bird. And this wow. is the perfect thing to do if you don't want to spend all day in the kitchen. You can make this turkey and you make it the day before and then you heat it up. And while you're heating it up, you can also heat up a bunch of other make-ahead dishes like your stuffing and your maybe your sweet potato casserole. So mm-hmm. you can do that all at the same time. You know, you don't even have to worry. You can even, you know, just take it out of the fridge while you, you want your turkey to come to room temperature. So you take it out of the fridge mm-hmm. and you, you have a good two hours of that. You can mm-hmm. do your race, come back and pop it mm-hmm. in the oven. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thinking yeah. like a runner there, Melissa. Very good. <laughs> Actually, I do that. I do that a lot. I'm like, what can I make while I run? Which is why I love my Instant Pot. I think we talked about that last time. I love my Instant Pot because you can plug it in and go for a run and then come back and dinner's ready. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good idea. So, Melissa, I didn't realize you came to recipe development via writing and not the other way around. Tell us a little bit about your career path and when and how you began your relationship with The Times. Well, I started, I, I, I was always a writer. You know, I was one of those like kid writers. I never kept a journal, but I just, whenever I could write a story for something, that's what I would do, you know, for whatever assignment. And it just, I loved writing and I was good at it. And I, I knew I was good at it because it was the thing that, you know, when I was in college, it was the thing that I knew was getting me, was propelling me ahead. And I thought, well, this is something that I love. I'm good at it. And I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And I thought, let me get an MFA. Let me get an MFA in writing. And I did. And as I was writing my stories in my MFA, I realized that the central metaphor was food. Because at the same time, I was always cooking as well. And to, they were always separate things until I was getting my MFA. And then I realized, oh, you know. And I had read MFK Fisher, who is every food writer tells mm-hmm. you that they love MFK Fisher with good reason because she's an amazing, amazing writer. And... Mm-hmm. I just 
realized that bringing those two things together was the way I wanted my career to go. And this was in the 90s. So this was like at the beginning of that thing called the internet. And I was just mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time. People needed food content. I needed to make money. (laughs) And back in the 90s, let me tell you, they used to pay you for food content, for food writing, which, uh, you know, know. and they paid you a living wage. I could make a living as a food writer. It was really serendipitous and I loved it. And so I did that for the beginning of my career. I was freelancing. I was doing um, recipe. I started doing cookbooks as well. I had done some cooking classes. Um, I had taken some courses, taken some classes. And I had stodged in some restaurants. So I thought, well, that's good enough for me to write some cookbooks. And it was. I mean, I learned on that. It was really one of those things. I had enough of a foundation. And then as I was doing it, I kind of learned as I went. And I started writing for The Times in 1997. Wow. I did this little column. They came to me to do this itty-bitty little column called The Food Chain, which was a Q&A. And this was, again, like early internet before WikiHow, when if you needed to know the answer to a cooking question, you would write a letter, a letter, a physical letter, (laughs) and you'd mail it to the New York Times. (laughs) (laughs) And I would answer that in print. And uh, my first column was about egg whites and whipping egg whites and how to get a nice stable foam. Um, And I remember my first byline ever. And I, you know, (laughs) cut it out of the paper to save it for my mom. And my mom was just like, do they pay you for that? And I was like, no, mom, I sent them a $25 check. So they put my name in the paper. No, I don't <laughs> no but of course, you know, they, they, and it was, it was just, uh, I, I just never let them get rid of me. I just, I just sort of stayed, you know, they started asking me to do these little things. And then I was always the person who would hand the thing in on time, which is as a freelancer, if there are any freelancers out there, like that is, you know, the number one thing, no matter how good your prose is, if you hand it in on time, your editor will call you back like bottom line, you know, so, um, and that really worked for me. And I I developed relationships with all the different editors. There were many different editors over the past 30 30 years. Oh my God, (laughs) almost 30 years. Uh So yeah, I'm still there. And I went on staff in 2012. That's great. Well, it took them long enough to get you on staff. I always say that. I'm like, yeah, they finally put a ring on it. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't want to be on staff. I really enjoyed freelancing because I liked writing for other places. And I also really enjoyed writing cookbooks with chefs, which was something that I did Mm. a lot at the beginning of my career because it was like getting a cooking lesson from like the best chef in the world. Because when you write their cookbooks, they have to tell you all their secrets and you learn Mm. their techniques. And so that was amazing. I did that for years. I wrote uh, probably a dozen cookbooks with different chefs. But when I, when you go on staff, you can't do that anymore because it's a conflict. So I had to Mm. stop doing that. So I didn't want to go on staff, but then in 2012, I was ready. By 2012, I was ready. <laughs> ready to come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was ready for them. They were ready right. for me. <laughs> I had sown all my wild oats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a fellow freelancer, so you're speaking my language. But in another interview, we heard you say that you spent about five years developing the recipes for this book. Can you share a bit about the behind the scenes of Cooking in One? And did you strategize some of those recipes on your runs? Um, you know, it's funny. I don't think about food on my runs. Mm. Sometimes mm. I do. I guess practically I do. I guess I think about like, what am I going to stop at the store for on the way home? Because that's part of my route. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, at the, at the I walk after I buy the groceries. I don't. Yes, of course you do. Of course you do. You don't you know, walk home with big Brussels sprouts and, and cauliflower under your arms. But wow, that's, I like that seeing the image of you being sweaty in some bodega. Oh, every, oh Brooklyn. my God, every day. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that is me sweaty. And the, but you know, nobody seems to mind. It's all, it's all fine. <laughs> Yeah. But no, I don't. I mean, when I'm running, I'm really, it's more, it's more meditative for me, especially when I'm running Mm -hmm. by myself. Uh, I start, I've started running, you know, I've started doing this thing where I, I, this was a pandemic thing where I've been, you know, I walk with friends now, which is just the best. I never used to take long walks with friends. And that is the two biggest positives of the pandemic for me is walking with friends Mm -hmm. and audiobooks. I never listen to audiobooks. Mm -hmm. And so now when, I do that. I, I always do my run first and then I'll meet. So I'll, I'll do my run and then I'll be all sweaty and then I'll meet my friend and do a walk. But no, so for my cookbook, I, um, yeah, no, most of it is, you know, it's, it's computer work. It's mostly think I'm really thinking in 
I'm sitting down and writing and thinking and trying to figure things out. Sometimes I'll have a flash when I'm running, like if I'm trying to puzzle out something that's not working, running is a really good time for that, like that kind of work, like problem solving. I don't know. Do you find mm-hmm. that? Do you find that you problem solve? Oh, oh, oh yeah. for sure. For <laughs> sure. But if I head out on a run saying that, oh, I'm going to try to think of a lead for that blog post or something like that, it never comes to me. It's when you kind right. of let your mind drift that then it it suddenly comes up with an epiphany. Yeah, it's funny. I guess it's that release, that physical release. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there mm-hmm. somebody's probably studied this or thought about it and you probably know more about it than I do, but I find it really useful. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you just never know where your brain will go on a run. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 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 I find I can't really direct it very much. I'm, you know, I'm figuring out where I am running and then let my brain go where it wants to. Yeah, which is, again, yeah. that's the meditative aspect of it, right? That's the thing you don't get in the mm-hmm. rest of your life. Like, when do you get to mm-hmm, do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. another reason I like swimming. It's because there's not much to mm-hmm. look at. So the brain really goes wherever it wants. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Melissa, the last time you were on the podcast was 2017. So you mentioned two perks, as it were, that have come out of the pandemic and the ensuing lockdown. So do you feel cooking and meals changed because of the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot more people started cooking. They had to. And it Mm -hmm. also and people who were cooking a little bit started cooking a lot more. I really feel like the pandemic was for people who like to cook, I mean, I think if you don't like to cook and you had to do it, it was it just made it worse for you. But for people who do get enjoyment out of cooking, I feel like everybody's skills went up a notch. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Do you feel like you cooked more during the pandemic and do you feel like you garnered new skills? A hundred percent. And I also, for some reason, saw it. As, I, I, I am a competitive person and I have a streak uh, mentality about things. For some reason, I was just like, I am going to cook dinner every night of this stupid lockdown. And, oh, oh my wow. God! Did you do it? I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I'm not a make a grilled cheese sandwich for dinner for the family type of gal, and so or you know a bowl of cereal. And I mean, it was few and far between that we ever got takeout. And I, you know, they took the lockdown really seriously out here in Oregon. So just I don't know, going to a restaurant to pick up takeout seemed very scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how about you, Amanda? We would do our our practice was once a week, we would do the curbside takeout where they'd bring mm-hmm. it out to the car. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so all the rest of the time we were cooking and my youngest was baking. And, you know, it was, I kind of have fond memories from kind of like that feeling of like homesteading, right? During mm-hmm. the pandemic. And so, yeah, I do think that you know, and engage me more with cooking for sure. Yeah, that was, yeah, you know, and actually speaking of streaking, I don't know if we, did we talk about my streak? I did a, I did a year long streak. No, let's hear about it. I bet my running streak. Yeah. A mile a day, at least between one and three miles a day for a year during the pandemic. Wow. Nice. So from when, from when to when? So that was, I guess like 2020 to 2021, June, 2020 mm-hmm. to June, 2021. And I did it through, I mean, I, you know, we had a couple of blizzards in there. But I was like, mm-hmm, I'm wow. going out there. I've got the chains for my sneakers. I went out there, mm-hmm. you know, ran in the, <laughs> nice. <laughs> ran on the black ice, did not fall. <laughs> oh, that's an accomplishment right Very there. Yeah. yeah. I had never streaked like that. And that was, that was really fun. The streaking was super fun. And the way I was able to do it was just to keep the mileage really low, you know? Yeah. And did you tell yourself you're only in for a year and then you were done ahead, like ahead of time or cause sometimes a streak can be hard to let go of. Oh yeah. I said I'm only in for a year and, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I still do. I mean, I've definitely, I can only really do 12 miles a week or I have, I have this um, ankle spurs and I just can't get pat. Like it really, like if I try to push it past mm. that, I just, it just, I get a lot of pain and I have to limp. So unfortunately like 12, maybe, oh. you know, sometimes I'll do 15. But I don't do, I don't do long mile. I don't do a lot of mileage. Mm-hmm. So as long as I keep the mileage count down, I can do like, mm-hmm. I can do six days a week. I can run for six days a week and that's fine. Oh. I can do seven days a week on mm-hmm. some weeks. Nice. If I, you know, if I keep everything under 10, I can do every day. No problem. And, uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. And you mean, you mean weekly, weekly total, total of 12 yes. or, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Not no, 12 no, no, no. Miles we're talking day. like, okay, oh, yeah. we're talking like, I mean, <laughs> my sweet spot is, you know, two miles, really two to three per, per run. I'm, I told you, I'm uh-huh. not, I don't, I don't, uh-huh. I don't do the long, you know, and my husband's such a, 
for his running. Like he just loves the, he loves the long run. He loves the two hour run. Are you, and I like the, uh-huh. I like the short run, <laughs> but I can walk and I can add miles when I walk. It's just, you know, I, I just, I want to keep my, you know, my goal is I want to be that 80 year old out there running. I want that so badly. Uh, so yeah. I hear you. That is the goal that we hear more often from so many women across the country. That is what they aspire to is to, to not get sidelined yeah. Um, yeah. and have to give up running. Yeah. And, you know, I think about like, how, you know, I love the idea of training for a marathon, but I don't think I could do it. Like, it's just, it's too many miles on, I think I will hurt myself. So I have to not do that. But I, you know, I, I the New York marathon was this weekend and it's just like to see all the people in my life do it. It's such an accomplishment. It's so yeah. amazing mm-hmm. and meaningful. And, um, you know, I love that it's out there and I wish I could do it. Maybe I'll, may, I figure a half, maybe one day I can do a half. That's my, that's sort of my, I think I talked about that in 2017. Like one day I'm going to do a half marathon. So maybe I still will. And maybe it'll be when I'm 70 and that could be so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's still, sh- still shimmering out there in the distance. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I recently shared with my neighbor, one of my favorite recipes from your new book. It's garlicky pork chops with cauliflower and pomegranate. So I often borrow spices from this neighbor because she has a very well-stocked, varied spice cabinet. And her response, I shared it via text, and I looked it up last night on the plane flying back from Hilton Head. Um, She said, her recipes have spoiled me for other recipe authors who don't creatively use seasonings. Mm. So talk to us about your relationship with spices. I I love to experiment. If there's a spice I haven't seen, I want to figure out how to use it. I, uh, and also I love flavor. I really like intense flavors and spices mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. they're a, I feel like they're a shortcut way to get you there, especially a spice blend. I love spice blends, like traditional spice blends, like a baharat seasoning or a garam masala. You know, these are um, traditional blends that add so much flavor and I don't have to do anything. You know, it's like, I love a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, using them really helps me bring my cooking farther along, you know, get more out of it without actually having to do more work. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, when you're trying a new spice, and especially when you're trying a new spice blend of a place, you also can be in touch with that place a little bit. You can, you know, it's a good excuse to learn about culture. It's a good excuse to learn about other people's cooking and traditional cooking. And I love that too. I love really that kind of deep dive. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from the brands that support us. We'll be back shortly for more tasty conversation with Melissa Clark. As Dimity often proclaims, we love a good BOGO, a buy one, get one. Ghost sleeves are like that. They're the only two-in-one sleeves that combine the power of kinesiology tape with compression sleeves. Then KT or rock tape, but instead of requiring specialized knowledge to apply the strips, Ghost Sleeves designed a sleeve that incorporates strategically placed strips on the inside of a reusable sleeve to support your key ligaments, muscles, and joints. The built-in kinesiology works just like as if you were taped up. By lifting and stretching the skin to increase recuperating blood and lymphatic flow, Ghost Sleeves activate your body's natural ability to reduce lactic acid buildup and speed recovery. Ghost Sleeves make models of sleeves for your calf, knee, and elbow. Laurel, an avid triathlete and one of our Bammer Basters, counts her Ghost Sleeves calf sleeve as a valuable tool in her triathlon training kit. Here's what Laurel writes about it. I wore the Go Calf Sleeve for my long run on Sunday. I had a bad calf strain in 2018 and have had calf weaknesses and leg imbalance since then. The Go Sleeve supported my calf so well and didn't slide around at all, even though it was 80 and humid. I ran 12.4 miles and my calf stayed loose and didn't feel achy. And here, let me toot Laurel's horn. She PR'd in her recent half Ironman triathlon by 25, 25 minutes. You go, Laurel. As I said, Go Sleeves make knee and elbow sleeves too. And I wear their elbow strap every time I play pickleball. It's completely cleared up my tennis elbow. For $25 off your first order of any sleeves, use code AMR25 at GoSleeves.com. That's AMR25 at GoSleeves.com. G-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-S.com. And that code AMR25. Thank you, Thrive Cosmetics, for supporting this show. And for reminding me I like wearing makeup, especially the brand's Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This revolutionary mascara makes me look alert and more vibrant. I now wear it every day, as anyone at our recent retreat can attest. It's no wonder it's the best-selling product from Thrive Cosmetics. 
The Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara uses a proprietary tubing formula, which means it wraps around each lash as you apply it, dramatically lengthening and defining your lashes from root to tip. It's fun to witness the eyelash transformation while applying it, from nearly invisible to look at me. And the look sticks around. The mascara lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, yet it slides right off with warm water and a washcloth or cotton pad. And while it's helping me look good, Thrive Cosmetics is doing good. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. For instance, they help provide physical, educational, and social resources to underrepresented children and young adults. They celebrate and support veterans during and after military service. And they lift up disadvantaged people and families seeking a path out of homelessness. You have to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash AMR. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash AMR for 20% off your first order. Okay, so this fall, my 18-year-old twins started college. So now my husband and I are empty nesters. And I'm not sure why, but this really lit a spark under me in the kitchen. And it's definitely partly thanks to your new book, which I have to say, as a side note, my husband misread the title and asked me why I was making dinner for one. (laughs) (laughs) You're planning on kicking him out. (laughs) Yes, yes. He was like, wait, do I have to make my own dinner now? (laughs) Um, So so thank you. The timing of your book was excellent. So do you hear from folks that they go through cycles of being really excited to cook and experiment and then times when they just want to live on takeout and canned soup? I mean, I think we all do that with everything. Mm -hmm. But yes, I definitely. Do you feel that way? I mean, I feel like um, I, I think it's personal. I think everybody has a different rhythm in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, when I'm not cooking, things are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, my husband has to do an intervention. He's like, are you okay? What's going on? Like, if I want to do takeout two nights in a row, he's like, okay, what's going on? Let's, let's talk. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because cooking is, you know, but that's personal. I mean, mm-hmm. I think everybody has a different relationship. For me, cooking is my relaxation. You know, mm-hmm. um, I call it my weekend at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. I love, you know, and I, I, I think that is very linked to the meditative aspect of running. You know, there's something very, there's a rhythm that you have. Like when you're out there and you're running, you're in this flow and this rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm at peak cooking, I'm in the <laughs> same kind of thing. You know, I'm like, I'm chopping, I'm yeah. grating, I'm just feeling and And, you know, when I'm outside, and, and, you know, for me, I think we've talked about this, um, but all of my running is outside. I hate mm-hmm. the treadmill. I hate the treadmill more than anything. <laughs> if I have to, you know, if I'm on traveling and I need to use a treadmill, I will. But it, the experience for me is being, is getting somewhere, even if it's just a loop around the park mm-hmm. and seeing everything. And it's the same with cooking, right? Like I'm, I'm ex- this, it's a sensory overload that I love. I'm smelling, I am tasting, I am feeling all the things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if I'm not doing that, I'm depriving myself of something that is so essential and there's a reason. Or, I mean, sometimes I'm just too tired. I mean, let's just, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm tired, I'm tired. But Mm -hmm. that's, again, one day in a row. But if it happens two days in a row, there's, there might be something. Mm. There's usually something. Mm. under <laughs> something bad underneath the surface <laughs> you know I can I can say that when I, I've lost both my parents you know over the past five years and mm. when you know right at in those the aftermath of of their death and part of the grieving it was hard for me to cook you know mm-hmm. it was like it was hard mm. and then that comes back and then when that comes, but it's never hard for me to run in those in fact I run more mm. You know, I, I did a lot of grief running. That was so it's it's yeah. it's a little bit of an inverse there. I don't know. How do you do you two feel that way? Do you feel like you're in and out of ry- a rhythm with cooking and with running? Mm. I definitely the the this was a new rhythm for me in that I really wanted to cook new recipes. Mm-hmm. And so because I don't know. I, I have a pretty varied repertoire of recipes I cook, thanks in large part to to you and to NYT cooking. And but I don't know. I just was really excited to have new flavors and just kind of new. I don't know. And I just I feel I think part of it is with my kids out of the house, I sometimes don't feel a sense of pride and accomplishment in the day and that putting a tasty dish on the table makes me feel proud. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. I can yeah. see that I also think I mean I can speak like for my youngest who went off to college this year and 
you know, pickiness came into the equation. And so having the kids out from underneath the house allows a little more experimentation here, at least, which is nice. Like, I don't have to think about, oh, you know, they're not going to eat this, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter if I like it. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm cooking right, it. Right, right. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're both empty nesters at mm-hmm. the same time? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yes. So I love your flexible approach to cooking. I think the recipes become more relatable and easier to implement with your advice that recipes are meant to be guides. So for people who tend to be sticklers with every teaspoon and tablespoon, can you put their minds at ease that it's okay to go a bit off script? Oh, I all I want everybody to go off script all the time. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I do feel that way. I think that nobody knows you like you know you. You know what you like mm. and you know what you don't like. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I like when my my recipes are all about me, right? That me, 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 me. I like it this way. But you know, it's like if you know you don't like fennel, don't put it in the dish. You know, there's no recipe that can't be adjusted. I mean, there are some rules you have to follow, right? There are certain things like, okay, well, if you're going to make braised fennel and you don't put the fennel in, then you're left with a pan of cream <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are certain sense, you know, you just, you do have to be sensible. And it's funny because this is the topic of my next book, the one I'm working on right now, is mm-hmm. to help people of, of every recipe. I want you to understand what are the things that are essential to the recipe and what are the things that are negotiable that you can take and change and make it your own? Mm. We, and I just feel like if everybody could do that, then people would just eat better. They'd be happier. And they'd also have more fun in the kitchen because you'd have more opportunity to play. And so I want to set you up for success and say, okay, you know what? So, you know, here is the sheep, you know, me and sheep pans. I love a sheep pan, right? <laughs> so here's this sheep pan vegetable dish. And these are all the things that you could do. And, but here are the rules, right? The rules are you need to, you know, you need to make sure everything is well oiled so that it browns and well seasoned mm-hmm. so that it tastes good. Here are the vegetables that will work together. But within that, you can like go rogue and choose your own. If you want to add protein, these are the proteins that will fit on that pan. Mm-hmm. You can use chicken mm-hmm. and you can use tofu, but not fish because it's going to mm-hmm. dry out, you know? So mm-hmm. it's really, it's like each recipe is a puzzle. Writing the recipes are puzzles and it's really fun for me. So I'm enjoying that. So yes, my goal is that everybody should be able to look at a recipe and know that they can take it and make it special for their family, just right for their family. Mm. Mm. Nice. So I've been telling a lot of people that you've been coming on the podcast. Let, let me just admit that, Melissa. So <laughs> so when I told so I told my friend Kate, who's also a mother runner and a huge fan of your recipes, she sent me a few questions, including this one, um, because Kate is also nearing the empty nester stage. She said, our nest is slowly emptying and my husband and I are cooking for fewer people than we ever have. We love to cook and mealtimes are important to us. We seem to do one of two things, eat peanut butter toast or cook way too much food. <laughs> what are some <laughs> so, What are some ideas for scalable weeknight dinners when you've been used to cooking for a bigger crowd? And I definitely find that to be the case myself, although I adore leftovers. So I'm okay with putting them in the fridge and having them for lunch the next day. Yeah, leftovers are great. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think the best way to think about it is start don't worry about the recipes. Like if you love your recipes and you've been making them for six people or four people and all of a sudden you're just two, I would say st- still make those recipes but really think about creative uses for the leftovers because it's one mm-hmm. thing to eat them for lunch. That's great. But sometimes you can completely transform them into something else and that this is another really fun game that I play is, you know, <laughs> how to disguise the leftovers. <laughs> but it's fun. So some of the most adaptable things, soups and stews, you can turn those mm. into other soups and other stews and nobody knows they're there. <laughs> I really love like having, so two things that I do a lot is I'll do like a bolognese sauce, like some kind of like, you know, meat sauce mm-hmm. and, or I'll do some kind of stew, a chicken stew or a beef stew or a pork stew. And I always take some of it and I freeze them. I do this purposely, you know, but you can do mm. this because you have, you're cooking for fewer people. Take some of that and freeze them in small containers, like one cup containers. And then I use those to what I call seed my future soups. So I made, <laughs> and so it's like any bean soup, no matter what bean soup, what lentil soup, what vegetable soup recipe you have out there. If you put in a cup of bolognese sauce or a cup of leftover stew, chop it up really fine just chop it all up so and it kind of dissolves in the broth. 
it's going to taste mm-hmm. so much better. It's going to be like this magic bullet of flavor. <laughs> I, so that's what I do with, with stews, with soups, um, things like chickpeas, you know, also freezeable. I, I guess I use a, I guess I freeze a lot of my leftovers. I mean, you can't do that mm-hmm. with fish and pasta because those mm-hmm. don't freeze well. But um, for pasta, I make frittatas a lot. I'll make pasta frittata all the time. I will use the pasta at, I'll like, you know, make fried spaghetti. I just Mm -hmm. try to think about ways to transform your leftovers and think about it as, you know, this just almost like a bouillon cube in a way, right? It's just like your special (laughs) set of flavors that you're going to add to something else. Um, For fish, I make fish salad. Like I'll take any leftover fish and I'll do, you know, like a tuna salad with it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll do the mayonnaise and I like, I really like to you do a sriracha mayonnaise for that. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. any fish works with it, you know, leftover salmon, leftover white fish, and then you mm-hmm. can make a sandwich with that. So that's fun. And then, you know, and then it'll also save you on your peanut butter toast nights because then you'll have more <laughs> things to play with. <laughs> I also think you got another cookbook right there. The one, the recipe, and then like three other variations on what to yeah, do with the leftovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it, that one's harder to write though. Um, but that could be mm-hmm. the next. One. I've got two cookbooks lined up, so that could be the third on the. That could be the third on okay. the list. I, right. I, I, gotta, you know. I have to finish because I know you come to me for advice on this. <laughs> <you know. laughs> oh my god, I, I don't know what I would do without you. Thank you for suggesting the one I'm working on right now. <laughs> the most adaptable cookbook in the world. <laughs> there you go. So, Melissa, I know you include meat in um, some of your recipes, but you also offer a lot of vegetarian and vegan options. And you mentioned in your new cookbook that some of this is stemming from your eye on the environmental impact our food choices can have. Can you tell us how you arrived at this approach? Yeah. And this is something I'm expanding upon in my next book, actually, because this is something I feel really passionate about. Um, Yeah, we need, I mean, we need to eat foods that are less impactful, negatively impactful for the planet. There's just no doubt that we will not have a choice. Our food ways are going to change because Mm. of, of climate change. So we need to, we will have to adapt. And the sooner we do, I think maybe the less impact we can have. Mm. We got to eat less meat. We must, I love, and this is spoken from someone, I love meat. Like I, I love it. I love every part of it, every part of the animal. <laughs> but I, and so in the new book that I'm writing, the new book I'm writing is, is 100% veg first. So mm. every recipe is, or this is how you can make this amazing vegetarian meal. And yeah, if you want to add meat, you can do that. And the meat recipes that I do have, the standalone meat recipes, the chapter is like, it's all about like how to eat better meat, how to find meat that is regeneratively raised, that is, um, you know, raised in a way that is in harmony with the planet. Mm. And so I'm trying to help because this is how I want to live my life. And I, I feel like a lot of people out there are with me and I, but we don't have the tools necessarily to really figure out like, well, okay, how do I set myself up to do this? easily without, you know, making it harder because no one wants to make their cooking harder. Right. So that is all being balanced in this next book. And I think, I I feel like, uh, little steps are really important steps. You know, even if, you know, we have meatless Monday is, is a Mm -hmm. thing that nationally a lot of people think about. And Mm -hmm. I would like to flip the equation and have, you know, meatful Saturdays and and Tuesdays or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. so we're vegetarian most of the week. Or we eat very little meat, you know, maybe our meat is our seasoning mm-hmm. most of the week. And then, you know, once a week we blow it out and have a, a delicious steak that is regeneratively raised. <laughs> mm. I have to say it was a New York Times article in the early 90s that got me to stop eating beef. It talked about all the waste there is in beef production and all this stuff. And it just made a really strong impact on me. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah. 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 Beef is the worst offender. It is the worst is. offender. And unfortunately, cheese is not so great either, which makes me sad. Oh, I know. That one oh, breaks no, my no, heart. Oh. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I can tell. Meat, but. I know the cheese is so hard, but I mean, you know, it, it comes from cows. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> lamb isn't great either. Sheep's milk is not. I mean, goat milk is actually the best in terms of mm. carbon footprint. So. If you like goat okay. cheese, maybe okay. eat more of it and less cat. You know, if if it's, but again, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, milk is, uh, cheese is much better than beef, but it's still not, mm-hmm. chicken is still a better, a better environmental choice than cheese, which right. always oh, makes me sad because wow. I'd rather eat, che- I'd rather eat cheese than chicken. Right. Right. Oh, right. T- completely. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. But I think yeah. to, to your point, like we do, I think it is incumbent on all of us to like 
find the area to sacrifice and do it. You know, like if we all yep. found one little area we can do it, we could really make a big impact. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Like where's your tolerance for mm-hmm. um, abstaining, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So speaking of eating less meat, Melissa, you probably knew this was coming. Last time you were on the conversation <laughs> randomly veered toward, you know where I'm going. I know where you're veered going. To, <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> it veered towards soy curls. <laughs> so that pressed soy product that my family and I really love and enjoy as a vegetarian protein option. And I re- lamented as how few recipes there were for soy curls. And you said you'd try to come up with some. And six years later, you were true to your word. You tell me you tried, but it wasn't happening for you. Yeah. You know what? I think, okay. So I've been, I was, as I was getting ready for our, our chat today, I was thinking about mm-hmm. the soy curls. And <laughs> I think what happened, I feel like I got a bad package because this is what happened. <laughs> when I cooked them, they all just, it just fell apart into this really unappetizing oh. granular mush. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that mm-hmm. just can't be what Sarah was talking about. <laughs> Sarah's got some shite tasting I, food I just, if she I likes these I just can't things. believe Sarah loves these so much. So, <laughs> so I feel like I need another source for my... I just ordered them from Amazon, frankly. I ordered them online. I couldn't... That is that is how you can get them. But they also... I mean, they're on the... um Here in Portland. I think they're also made out here in Oregon. Oh, and so you're getting the fresh soy curls. I am, yes. So it's taken them a while to get across the country all the way to Brooklyn. But even here at Whole Foods, they are on the bottom shelf at Whole Foods. Right. So, you know, yeah. if, if they can't even get up toward eye level at Whole Foods, they've got a long, you know, hill to climb. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'll actually look for them at my local Whole Foods. I, ha- I did not, like I said, I just ordered them, but I will try to take a mm-hmm. look and see if I can find fresher, better soy okay. girls. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I do have to tell you so that, um, so my younger daughter, the one who went up to college, the first time I asked her, one of her boyfriends to stay for dinner, I was making soy curl tacos. And the, and so I was like, Oh, Cooper, you know, have you ever had soy curls? Da, 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 da. And then she had, you know, a couple of boyfriends later, I asked him to stay for dinner. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've made soy curls again. Oh <laughs> Are you trying to scare off all her boyfriends? Is that the subtext here? I know. I know. And I'm like, really? I don't do this often, but here we go again. So I, I don't know. She's got a boyfriend in college and he lives here in Portland. They go to school in Seattle, but I don't know. I a note to self, I don't know whether I should or shouldn't make soy curls for him for dinner. I think you should ask, <laughs> I think you should ask your daughter to, to like weigh in on the menu. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, but you know what I do love? Soy skin. Uh-huh. I love soy skin like Yuba noodles. Oh. Okay. If you like, you might like these too. So Yuba, it's um, basically uh-huh. soy milk when um, they skim the top and they dry it. Oh. And it's like these oh. new, it's delicious. It's like chewy and it's called Yuba oh. and I absolutely love it. Wow. So the, okay. and it's just like a chewy soy-based protein. Oh, all right. And you use it like a regular noodle? Yeah, like you in can a use it like a noodle. Ramen-esque? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're bigger mm-hmm. and kind of chewy. I like them in a salad I like or a stir-fry. Like I like to stir-fry them. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I've made a literal note to myself here as we're talking. Okay. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Melissa, I have a question. I mean, because I'm back to empty nesting and I am a home of one at the moment. I'm single. And so... You know, I think it can be a little less, I'm trying very hard to always cook and make, you know, good, healthy meals. And then I do have the leftovers and that's kind of how I approach my week. Um, But every once in a while, you know, I want to go the lazy route. And so if you could name, you know, like just a handful of pantry staples and a handful of frozen foods that you would recommend keeping on hand so that you can whip up quickly something without a lot of thought, you know, and Mm -hmm. and that you just always have in your kitchen. Yeah. Okay. So for me, a can of chickpeas, like that's my, like I can just, I can do so many things with a can of chickpeas. So I can make hummus for myself. I can just saute them in in so many different ways. A can of chickpeas, you know, you can do it um, with a bunch of spices and tomatoes and onions that comes together really quickly. Um, I love to roast chickpeas just dry, you know, you dry them out on a dish towel and then roast them at high heat, like 425 or 450, tossed with olive oil and salt. And I mean, are you a nutritional yeast person? Do you like your nooch? Just put that on top. You know, so. I don't have any because I'm not, I mean, I, I was dating a vegan and so we would use it, but I know because I 
Yeah, but go ahead. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's salsa. I yeah. love it. Or par. I mm-hmm. mean, Parmesan is great on it too. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and so, like crispy, like a big bowl of to me, like a, a, a. I have certain dinners that I make for myself because no one else likes them <laughs> when my family is right, right. And um, and I love them so much. And so you know, chickpeas features because they're so easy and you could just have a can on hand. So that's a big one for me. Another one is. I mean, I just love to do, you know, whatever vegetable saute. So like whatever mm-hmm. vegetables I have. And then, m- you know, my big thing is I add a ton of garlic and I usually top it with a ton of Parmesan. And I'm just so happy eating that, you know, like uh, usually cabbage. I'm just going to say it. I love cabbage, jalapenos, <laughs> Parmesan in a big bowl by myself. <laughs> That's another favorite thing. But um, dumplings, I love to have frozen, like frozen shrimp dumplings or frozen vegetable mm. dumplings in the freezer. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And that goes really well with my big cabbage mush. Right. <laughs> fried eggs are another thing that I like to have by myself. Fried, and I like to do, like, I like to fry different things in the pan with the eggs. So, like, yeah. fried eggs and sage, fried eggs and chickpeas. You're hearing a theme mm-hmm. here. Fried eggs and Parmesan. So, it gets all crunchy around <laughs> the edges of the egg. So, Parmesan <laughs> is another staple. Um, fried eggs and chili crisp is delicious. Mm. I tend not to make pasta for myself because I get that and just in, you know, other parts of my life. So I tend not to do that, but I will do, I'll do a lot of things on toasts. So, you know, mm. I, I, anything that I have just mentioned, I will put on some toast sometimes. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. My fried eggs, my chickpeas, my cabbage, all flopped right on some toast <laughs> um, and, or dumpling or with the dumplings. What else do I like? Oh, you know what I love? I love, I love a can of sardines. Oh, oh I know you, I know you like your sardines. Yeah. And your anchovies. anchovies. Love Mm -hmm. them. So that's just, I love to have, I mean, so toast, butter, sardines, olive oil, sliced onion. I'm in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's why it's good to, that's good. No one else is home for dinner after you eat something like that. Although my husband Mm. will eat that with me. He loves it. He loves sardine toast as much as I do. So when my daughter's not around, or we'll make that for ourselves for dinner and we'll just give her the dumplings. She'll get the frozen dumplings. Oh my gosh! And then, uh, then family shares the toothpaste together. My gosh! Wow. Well, you know, we're we're used to each other. <laughs> um, okay, so this might be heresy, but I'm going to admit to you that I'm not a fan of chicken thighs, and it seems to me that you are captain of Team Chicken Thighs. I am. So, what do yeah. you like? Can I ask why you don't like chicken thighs? So we can like troubleshoot um, this together. Yeah. Well, I I don't I, either. Oh, okay. Oh my God, okay. the two of you. All right. All right. Let's, let's get to t- talk to me. Talk to me, ladies. Um, what is it I, about the chicken thighs? I, well, I am, I, I don't like dark meat. Okay. And, and also, you know, the, um, I guess that's fat that, that is on, you know, when a chicken has been, you know, cut up. I don't like that. The, there's so much little f- bits of globules of fat on chicken thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I what did, about boneless, skinless? What about boneless, skinless? I did. I did. I did one recipe from. It might have been an Ali Siegel one from NYT Cooking that had, and I I enjoyed those. I enjoyed because I feel but, like I think if the problem is the little the fatty bits and the globby mm-hmm. bits. And by the way, my daughter is exactly the same. She's okay. not like so. And this is what I do for her. I but because I can't do white meat because it just doesn't taste good to me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you how I I make the dark meat acceptable mm-hmm. to everybody in the family. You, you buy boneless, skinless. And mm-hmm. when you're looking at the raw chicken thighs, you mm-hmm. see the yellow fat. Just cut mm-hmm. all of it off. Oh, I do. But then sometimes you do that. And then you're like, oh, criminy. I just bought like a pound and a quarter of these things. And now I'm left with like three quarters of a pound. <laughs> like you can spend, like, I don't know. I give it too strong of a haircut, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. So try. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, and, and but I they're enjoy- still cheaper than it's still, if you can, especially if you have any pets that you could feed the extra to, or you're oh, a way to go. use it, you know, mm-hmm. it's still cheaper. It, even cutting up your chicken thighs are still cheaper than the breasts, which are like twice the price. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, yeah. yeah. So I, cause I do the, my, one of my, another one of my favorite recipes in your new book is that crispy lemon chicken with potatoes, oregano, and capers. Mm-hmm. And I do substitute bone in chicken breasts for thighs, which as a side note, it is really hard to find bone in chicken breasts these days. Mm-hmm. I yeah. know. That's the problem. Uh, and they're never uh, skin on. They're never always. Too- oh, no. At, at Whole Foods, that's the only kind, the only kind you can get. But you can't even get them from the butcher out here anymore. They're in their package thing. Mm-hmm. And so then since there's only two of us, then I get kind of the biggest one they have. And then we split it. Right. With my husband and me. Right. Yeah. Does your husband mm-hmm. like dark meat or no? 
Oh, he'd eat freaking anything. Okay, great. Well, so perfect. So all you have to do Mm -hmm. is when you're doing the thighs, cut off Mm -hmm. the parts that are unacceptable to you and feed them to (laughs) him. Serve it to him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's what we honestly. That's what we do in my house. I like the fatty bits. That's what I love. And my daughter (laughs) likes the lean bits. So I cut up the chicken thighs and I eat all the fatty bits and she eats all the lean bits. And even when like when Jack Spratt and his wife totally Uh like that is how we go in my house and it works out completely fine. That's great. Oh my gosh. I am um, like if I make a pork tenderloin, I don't even like the outside of a pork tenderloin. So I'll cut off basically the rim of the pork tenderloin and then I'll surreptitiously put them on my husband's plate. And every once in a while, he's like, I don't want your, your, you know, leftover type scraps. No. Oh, see, I eat the leftovers. I love the leftover scraps. I'm just like, <laughs> my daughter will cut up the chicken. She'll like dissect it. I'm like, all right, that's mine, mine, mine. <laughs> That's great. I mean, as long as I keep away, as long as I don't feed her sardines. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, if you like to, if anybody who prefers the white meat, there's always a way to substitute it. You just have to watch it more carefully so it doesn't overcook. So you can yeah. always substitute. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. also, I got to say, that recipe has made me such a fan of Yukon Gold potatoes. Mm. They are so juicy, and which is such a ridiculous adjective for potatoes. Yeah, well, they just, they, they keep, they're just like velvety, right? They're so, mm-hmm. they don't dry out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's an exceptionally tasty recipe. So oh, well good. Well done, you. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so mm-hmm. glad. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to try it. So just like with running the same route over and over again, instead of branching out into unknown ter- or t- terrain, um, it's easy to get stuck in a rut of cooking the same meals every week or two. So what advice do you have to folks who might be on a, meal repeat cycle as many of us are <laughs> ah well okay let's so let's start off with the the analogy about running the same route so i run the same route five days a week out of my six days <laughs> i really interesting do. uh-huh <laughs> and you know what it's always different every single mm-hmm. day is different mm-hmm. it's interesting. there are different people there's different i mean especially in the you know as the seasons change you know it's mm-hmm. just like the leaves are turning different colors right now they're blowing in different formations. Mm. Um, there's just always something different to see. You know, there, if I, I do it at different times of the day, so that the light is different, the different, the light is different at different times of the year, you know, so there's always something different if you're attuned to it. So, and the same thing with my cooking, I never cook the same recipe twice, even when I cook the same recipe twice. Mm-hmm. I'm always making little adjustments. I'm always changing things up. I'm always trying something new. What if I add more garlic? What if I add less garlic? What if I add spices to this? What if I you know, brown the butter? What if I toast the nuts? What if I add toasted nuts? You know, and, and that, I mean, so our, my, one of our family favorite recipes is, um, you know, we do a midnight pasta variation, which is pasta with garlic and anchovies basically. And, um, my daughter who says she doesn't like anchovies knows that there's anchovies in the pasta and she eats it anyway. So we're good. Like, it, but she's like, just as long as I don't have to look at them. So, cause they, they dissolve into the sauce. And, I do it differently. Every time I make it, I do it a different way. Like I just like I, I sometimes I'll add toasted breadcrumbs. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I will add chili flakes. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I put onions in along with it or scallions along with it or herbs along with it. And it's always it's fun to kind of go through all the different little permutations while at the same time still giving my family the meal that they want because that's their favorite meal. So and I get bored. I don't want to do the same meal. So it's like a way to to do that. So I would say you know, if you're in a rut and if you're in a rut, but you lo- you still like what you're making, look for teeny ways to vary it up. You know, spices, mm-hmm. garlic, nuts, breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. different types of oil, citrus, and mm-hmm. play with it. And then you can turn it into, you know, a, a new dish that's still familiar. Mm-hmm. And then if you really want to change it up, okay, then you're like, all right, you know what? I'm done with Prospect Park. I need to actually go. I'm going to do Brooklyn Bridge today. <laughs> I need to go over the bridge. I got to do something new. And then, I mean, then I would say, then that's fun. Then you get to go on, you know, go to NY, go to New York Times cooking and, you know, mm-hmm. go through the app and, and put mm-hmm. in keywords and see what other people are cooking or go through your favorite cookbooks. I mean, there's always something. If you love food, you'll be tempted, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of getting out of, of taking the, giving yourself the, 10 minutes to just dream and browse about something yummy for dinner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do think of you pretty much every time I squeeze a little lemon on a dish at the very end, because that was one tip you gave us last time we talked. So that kind of just brightens everything up. Oh yeah, exactly. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I do that. Sometimes I do that on my midnight pasta. Mm, Very nice. Very nice. 
Well, Melissa, it's a delight to talk with you. So thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me. I really, you guys, you're such a good company. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you're very sweet. Yeah, this was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good. Take care. Oh, love her. That was fabulous. I just love her. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Melissa Clark can do no wrong in my mind. I'm just yes. putting that out there. Right there. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, please rate our podcast on iTunes and write a quick, hopefully glowing review. And so given the way iTunes works, getting reviews really does help podcasts find new listeners and helps new listeners find podcasts. So please write that review. If you're not a write a review kind of gal, we recently learned from our podcast survey that the majority of our listeners find our podcast via word of mouth. So please tell a few friends about our show, maybe some gals in your running group, that new mother runner who started working at your company and all your pals on Facebook. So however you do it, please help us spread the word about the Another Mother Runner podcasts, plural. And I really appreciate it. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medor from Fire on the Bluff. So, well, I mean, yeah. no, I mean, it, but yeah. you know what? I'm, it, what's fun for me is I don't get to talk about my running. Like, who wants to listen to me talk about my running? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> You have found the people who will listen to it all all day long. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>